lots of ways to serve, lots of ways to be involved, lots of ways to encourage. Um, oh, it's good to, good to be together. It's good to be together in the house of the Lord this morning to, to worship and to um, just enjoy, enjoy one another. It's great seeing a, a, a packed house here. Hope you've um, maybe met some new, new faces. Hope you'll, um, hope you'll uh, be intentional in encouraging one another. That's a little bit about what we'll be talking today. You know, there is, um, there's a new uh, medical uh, treatment that's come out. Actually, it's a, it's a scan. Medical scientists have, have worked alongside some theological scholars. They've come together to develop this new kind of MRI technology that not only looks at the physical aspects of, of the body and particularly the brain, but it's able to see the spiritual aspects of the brain. Now, huh. now, now here's this is a cool thing. Recently, I had the opportunity to take part in this trial study using this new technology. And the test results, I mean, they were quite revealing. In fact, I've got some pictures here to show you. Here's, here's a picture of the MRI of my brain. Now, the good thing is, is everything looks a little bit normal. You know, it's, I do have a brain there. And it's, I guess, fairly fairly healthy. But but when they when they began to examine the spiritual dimensions, this is where the problems began to arise. Let me show you show you here. Now you can see this is this is what they this is what they found in my brain. Now that upper lobe, it's all about me, myself, and I. Anybody else have that part of your brain? Now if you go down, take the easy road. And then just kind of below that, personal preference. That one kind of really, really stands out, comes to the forefront a, a lot in my thinking. My priorities above your priorities. And personal comfort. You know, I, I don't, I like kind of my comfort thing. And that does, it does, that part of the brain fires a lot. And then, particularly when I'm talking with my wife, I'm usually right, fires in. But then when that one's not fully firing, the one right below that, I'm always right, kicks in. Yeah. Then you just kind of make your way up my, my way or the highway, consumerism, selfishness, personal pleasure. Hey, don't step on my toes. You're probably, maybe your brain's already kind of firing there. Preacher, do not step on my toes this morning, right? And independence. You know, this, obviously, this is not a scientific study, right? But I think this represents my brain, sadly, too often. And I think if most of us are honest and we're, we think about the way we think, the way our minds kind of go, it is filled with some of these things, too often than, than not. We are self-oriented people. We, we lean more toward relational independence than we do relational dependence. We like comfort more than sacrifice. We think more about our own personal rights and freedoms and preferences and needs than we do about another person's rights, freedoms, preferences, and needs. It's easier to be selfish than it is to be selfless. And it's more convenient to in a sense, to elevate ourselves rather than to think about how can I elevate someone else. And friends, if we're not careful, 
this self-orientation can creep into the church. And it does. Too often, the church can be a place of individualism, consumerism. Hey, I, I'm coming. What does, what does this place have to offer me? Now, we want to meet needs. We want to care for, for others. We want to, to connect you to Christ and community. We want, we want to offer something that, that does build you up, that has some, some, some lift to your life. But when we come and when we gather and we're thinking about ourselves, well, that church, I, mean, I, I, I want them to do this for me, then we kind of fall into this self-orientation piece. And again, because our brains look a lot like what we just saw, our opinions, desires can, can matter more than, than others. And sadly, it can matter even more than God. Well, this morning, we're going to begin a, a new series, and we're calling it Rethinking Relationships. And as we look at what God says about relationships in the Bible uh, throughout this month, we're going to be challenged to reorient the way that we think about our key relationships, the relationships in our homes, the, the relationship of our marriages, relationships we have in our community, and this morning, the relationships that we have as a church, here in the church. So to help us rethink or to think a little differently, to reorient our, our thinking about relationships in the church, we want to turn this morning to the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the church in Philippi there in, in Greece. Philippians is the book. It's in the New Testament. It's one of his letters. It's about the midway through uh, the, the back of your Bible, Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, again, if you're using one of those black Bibles in the pew rack in front of you, you can find it, up, I think, on page 980, you can get right there, Philippians chapter 2, it's a very familiar passage, it's a beautiful passage, I think it's one of the seminal passages, the one of the most important passages in the Bible. This morning, we're going to see how it relates to relationships with one another. Philippians chapter 2, let's begin in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation or fellowship in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy or compassion, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord or the, the, the same, have the same soul and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is what he did. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, just like what we sang, the name of that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now Paul begins with a call to unity. He's calling this church, these individual members of this church, to come together in in unity. And he grounds this reality, this this unified body in what looks, what, what he's what he's calling these believers to is this united oneness. He says, because you've experienced, you've been transformed by, by Jesus Christ, you have a, you have a new reality. That, that old life that you once lived, you're now, you're now walking in something new, something brand new. He says, you, we know and we experience the encouragement that comes from being in relationship with God. We have this encouragement. He also says that we know and, and experience this love that comforts us to the, to the very core of our being. We know, like the love that we sang about earlier, that's deep and surpasses everything. And we, we know and ex- experience a fellowship and sense of family because of the Holy Spirit who now takes up residence in our lives. And we know and experience this affection and, and compassion because that's the kind of love and sympathy, compassion, affection that God has toward us when he took us out of our sin and brought us into, into his family. These are the things. This is the, the blood that's, in a sense, running through our veins. It's, it's who we are because of him. These things are the wellsprings that that pushes us and propels us toward the unity that he's calling us to. And in verse 2, Paul tells us, he begins to just unpackage what this unity looks like. He says we're to be of the same mind, the same mind. We're to have the the same love. We're to, to be in full accord. Again, that that word can simply be the same soul, our, our feelings, the, the, all of who we are, our inner being is the same. We have the same mind, the same love, the same being, the same soul. The, and, and then he comes full circles. He says, we're, we're to be of one mind, one mind. This is what our relationships with one another should look like. This is what we as the body of Christ should look like one mind, one love, one soul moving forward together. Because Jesus brought us together in encouragement, love, and fellowship, affection, and compassion. We are to have, because of all that, we are to have, we are to think alike. We're to, to think as one. We are to, to, to love in unison, and we are, our souls should should beat and bleed together as one. Together we think the same, we love the same, we feel the same. We are of one mind. Now as followers of Christ and as those who have committed to one another, like here at First Baptist, you've committed to become a part of of this family, committing to one another, we are 
Friends, we are united in this, in this way. We are of the same mind, love and soul. But we have to work at it. It's, it's the reality of what we are and who we are, but we have to work at it. Let me explain. Now, almost 32 years ago, I married my wife. Here I was, one individual and my wife, and God brought us together and we were married. The scripture says that two people, this is the, the miracle, the beauty, and the wonder of what marriage is. It brings two people together as one. That's, that was our, when I said I do and she said I do, and we were pronounced before, before our friends and family and before the Lord, he did something supernatural. He took two people and he made us one. That was our new reality. But we still had to work at it, right? Even though it was reality, we had to work at our communication. We had to work at how do, how do I love my wife in a way that really communicates my love for her, where she feels loved? How do, how do, I, how do I get into her heart? How do I serve her? How, do I, how does she get into my life? How, does she, how do our goals and, and desires sync up together as, as one? And these are things that we continue to work on. I mean, we are one, but we continue to strive to become even more unified because we want our marriage to be a beautiful, beautiful picture of, of Christ's love for the church. And we're not quite there yet. My wife actually married a sinner, and I'm still working at it, and I did too. And that's how it is in the body of Christ. We are, we're unified because of what he's done. But we have to work at it. We have to, we have to strive together to put this on display. And Paul, he, when he's writing here, he doesn't leave it at that. He doesn't leave it, leave it for us to figure this out. He gives us specific ways and some action steps for us to take to experience unity. And this is really where I want us to, to take hold of. Look again there, verses 3 and 4. He says, don't, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. That word conceit, it's like empty pride. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interest of others. This key word, I think, in this verse, in these verses, is that word humility. If you're taking notes, write it down humility and underline it humility humility puts to death selfish ambition and, and conceit in our pride in our selfishness we want we want others to, we want we want others to elevate us and we in our selfishness and pride we seek to to elevate ourselves above others it's just it's part of our sin nature but here's, here's, I think, really the, the problem. In our, in our ambition, in our empty pride, one of the sad ways that, that we try to rise above others is by bringing them down. This is why things like, um, you see this in school, bullying. When I was in high school, there was... Uh, 
they were I sang in the choir. Back then, the choir was like a really, I mean, it was a really cool thing. Their brasses were really cool. Still is. So me and this other guy, we were freshmen, and there was a, there was a senior, and, and he would take his class ring, and just for fun, he'd turn it around, and he'd just pow on the back of my head, and he's like, I had knots. And then... We had this room, or we had these practice rooms. This hall would go back there, and sometimes you, you'd go back there to get a drink. And they, these group of seniors, they'd be there, and they'd pull us into this room, and they they called it, they called it, um, what is it? Oh, let's see, when you have the little ball and you, it's a game. It has little things. No, 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 no. Pinball. Is it pinball? Yeah, pinball. They called it pinball. Except the problem was, I was the ball, and they would all be in the room. They'd turn the lights off, and you and you just you're getting you're getting thrown all. The, I mean, that's kind of how it was back then. We just we learned uh, you kind of dealt with it, and you tried to stay. Clear. I mean, it's that kind of stuff. And um, one day, I just I just had enough of it. And this one dude, I I just lost it, and it probably wasn't kind. I'll just admit here. And I'm I took him down to the ground. And I said, man, quit that. Don't ever do that to me again. And he never did. And I, I, I was thinking back. I'm like, you know, what he was doing, I think the guy was just hurting. There's something going on in his own life. And so to elevate himself, what he wanted to do is put me down. And so that's what bullying is. It's, it's in our schools. You know, there's, there's movies out. They're all mean girls. I mean, there are people that are just mean. And they, they look at others and they just don't like them for whatever reason. And to, to elevate themselves, they, they, they can't do it themselves. And so what they do, they bring others down. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. Bullying. Now, gossip is another one that is just, hey, did you hear? Oh, my goodness. Did you hear what so-and-so did? Yes. And we start spreading this stuff. And it's like, why? Why do we do that? Or we tell lies or slander. We make... We make fun of people, or we tell these just kind of off, off jokes, unkind jokes. You look down upon others. Ooh, did you see what he's wearing or she's wearing? And so much more. These are hurtful things. Paul gives us a better way. In humility, we are to count others more significant. We're to to see them as exceptionally more valuable than ourselves. We, we have to think differently about one another. We must put others' interests and preferences and, and needs and desires above our own. We're at least on, on equal terms. That's why I love this morning even the, the, the song sets. I mean, you, you had some, some newer songs, kind of some mid-new songs, and you, then you threw in an old hymn, you know, and it's like, I love that, I love that aspect, because then it's like, you know, we, we all have preferences, right, we all, like, hey, I like this kind of music, I like that kind of music, I like whatever, and, but what we can do when we come together, we set our preferences aside, because we, we value one another, we're like, man, here's that, that old song, man, that person loves that kind of song, some of us, I mean, we, we'll do some old gospel-y song, and then we'll do a contemporary song. I mean, that's great. We ought to be able to, to share together in, in the worship experience because we, we think about 
others before we think about ourselves. Now, how do we do this? I think there's two things. The two things to help us think about others more importantly than ourselves. First is we must see each other the way that God sees each other. We need to see others in the way that God sees them. They are of infinite value and worth in his eyes. So I want to see others in, in that way. And if I see them the way God sees them, students, if you're at school and you look at somebody and, it, and you say, man, God sees that person as worthy and valuable and he, he's willing to send his son to die on a cross for that person, man, how can I even think funny about them or, or even think about bullying them or saying something mean or unkind? It, just, it shouldn't even come into our, into our, into our thoughts they are precious. This room is filled with priceless treasures. I mean, I'm, I have the privilege because I'm standing up here, and I get to look around and see, see your faces. And y'all are you're priceless, precious in the eyes of, of God. Everyone, every, every child, every, every uh, young couple, every senior adult, 90... Everyone is precious and valuable. And so therefore, man, we, we, we feel that amongst us. I mean, you're sitting amongst greatness. Every person here. And we, we want to consider their thoughts, their preferences, their needs above our, above our own. And second, we must become, I think, better listeners. James says that you know, we have to be quick to, quick to hear or quick to listen and slow to speak. Remember, like earlier, that, that encouragement, love, fellowship, affection, and compassion that we mentioned there in the first, that first verse. We, we listen, I think, with these attributes uh, beating strongly in our hearts. We we listen and we look for ways to encourage. We listen and, and look, look for ways to, to express love. We listen attentively because we have a unique and special fellowship with that person through the Holy Spirit. We listen with a desire to feel what that person is feeling and then show that same kind of compassion that, that God has shown us. Now, this can happen, I think it happens real, most naturally in a small group. So our life group ministry, as people, are, you're in there and you're in those groups and, and maybe it's, it's prayer time and you, somebody shares a, a request. Hey, can you pray for me about this? And, and, and you're there and you know that person. It's like, well, hey, hey yeah, so hey, tell me a little bit more about what, what, what that is. And all of a sudden, their hearts opened up. And you and you get into their lives, and you it, it, you you feel them, you, and you you want to stand alongside them, you want to elevate them, you want to help them and and care for them. It can happen, I think, even in the foyer on your way out today. And here's a very, I think, simple yet profound question to to ask. You simply go, "Hey." How are, you, how are you doing? But then, 
Then put this at the end. Really? Hey, hey, Carl. Hey, brother, how, how have you been? No, really? And then what that does, it says, no, hey, and then you, and then you stop and you look. Like, and, and you're not just, you're, it's, it's beyond more than just, hey, no, it's good. It's been a good week. It's, no, I really want to know. Tell me, what's, how, how are you doing? Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's going well. Um, but it's, it's, honestly, it's, it's kind of a hard week. Tell me about it, brother. And then all of a sudden he begins to open up and, and share, and it's like, man, can I, can I just pray with you right now? It just changes everything. Terry, how are you doing? I mean, really, how are you doing? How was this week? Lisa, how, how's it been? How's it been being a grandparent, you know? I mean, really, what's, what's one of the joys? What's, what's some of the challenges? Hey, a, a parent. Boy, I know, you, you got a little one. How, how's it been? I mean, really, how's it going? I remember those days when they're little and you're just, you know, it feels like you've got a hundred plates spinning all at the same time and you're just, you're running over here, running over here. How are you doing? I mean, really? That's an easy one. And then you listen. Don't speak, just listen. So remember to see people the way God sees them. To listen. And then ask them, how are they doing? Experience unity, we must first have humility. The second, we need inequality. Again, write that one down. Inequality. Unity. Inequality. Look at verses 5 and 8 again. Have this mind. He's saying, think this way. Reorient the way you think. You need to rethink the way your relationships are here in the church. He's writing to this church, just think in a different way. That, that brain that you have, put, put that away. And he, I want you to think like this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. I mean, born in the light. He became a man, a, a human being, God becoming man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul begins by, by again, reminding us that we, we must think differently. It's about our minds, the way we think. We are to reorder our thinking to match that of Jesus Christ. And though he was God, he chose inequality. Jesus chose inequality. See, equality with, with God was, was not a thing to hold on to for Jesus. See, though he was, he's always been fully God. He's always fully God. But he willingly emptied himself and became fully man, the scripture says. With all of the weaknesses and, and disadvantages of being human. I mean, Jesus, he would get tired. His muscles would ache. He would have to sleep. Jesus felt pain. He shed tears. He spilt blood. That's what Jesus did. He did not count 
equality with God a thing to be grasped. He set that aside in order to be fully man. And he ultimately expressed it when he gave up his life on the cross. And that's the mindset that Paul is calling us to have. That's the way we are to, to think. It's, it's radical. It's costly. And it's sacrificial. Now, church family, if we are to have the, the kind of supernatural unity that Paul is, is calling us to have, it's going to come at a cost, just as it did for Christ. To, to make a heavenly impact, we have to have an, an earthly sacrifice. If we want to make a heavenly impact in our community, into the lives of others, and in the lives of one another, it's going to cost us something. It just is. I like how Paul worded this aspect of inequality. Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be clinged to. He didn't cling tightly. He, he held lightly. He didn't come to be served, but he came to, to serve us and to give his life for us. And that is to be, friends, our mindset. We are to hold lightly and not cling tightly as we serve one another. Let me say that again. We are not to, we are, well, we are to hold lightly and not cling tightly as we serve one another. That's what Jesus did. We, we hold lightly our preferences. We hold lightly our, our comforts. We, we hold lightly our rights, our wants, and, and more. We consider the cost and we gladly make sacrifices for the good of, of others. You know, the, the Lord has been so gracious and kind to us as a church. I mean, we're growing, we're seeing new people become a part of our, of our family. We're needing to make more space in, in our children's area. I mean, we need, we need more space back there. We're needing to expand our, our life group space, and the day will soon come. Friends, you can see it right here. We're, we're over 80% capacity. And they st all that they all tell you, when you get to 80%, people are going to just quit coming. Now, we want to reach more people. We want to have an impact on more. We have more people that we want to see connected to Christ, community, and cause. And so we have to make room for them. And when we do, when we start thinking about others, and we, we are unified as a church, things are going to change. We're going to have to make some, some sacrifices. We're going to do it back in our children's area. There's going to be some changes back there. We've got to take down some walls and move some things around, make more room. We've got to, we'll have to do it with our life groups. We don't have any more space for our adult life groups. We've got to get some more. And we're going to, we don't have another building. So we're going to put some temporary, like, um, what are they called? Uh, yes, we're going to put like three of them in the, in the gym. Now, they're not, they're going to be very exciting. But we can get excited about it because we're like, hey, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, let's meet out there. Let's do that. And then in here, there's, the day is going to come here soon when we're going to have to probably go to two services. And it's like, oh, man, 
What's that mean? It's going to be, it's going to be cost us something. It's going to be, but we're not doing it. We've, we set our, our preferences down. We set our needs. We set all that aside because it, there's bigger things going on here, right? We want to we think about others. We want to make an impact. We want to change lives. We want to see people connect to Christ in ways that, that makes their life just full of hope and joy. And so it means that we're going to have to do some things that might make us uncomfortable. It means I might have to preach twice. <laughs> I mean, like, man, I, I'm worn out after I preach once. Dana's going to have, I mean, our worship team, they'll have to sing twice. All those songs, twice. You may go to a different, who knows? We're going to figure all that out. We're just now kind of talking, trying to figure it out, getting ready for it. But the truth is, unity is about setting things aside. It's about inequality. We don't, we hold lightly. We hold lightly to the things that, that are important to us, and we, we definitely don't cling tightly. And you know what happens when we, as a church, begin to display a unity like this? Well, friends, the rest of our passage says it. It says, therefore, God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at his name, at the mention of his name, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Unity requires humility and equality, and those things lead to solidarity solidarity. Jesus gets all the praise. And because Jesus humbled himself and died on the cross to bear our sin and shame, what God did, he exalted him, set him up high, gave him the name that's above any name. You know, solidarity, it means a unity. I looked this up. It's a beautiful word. It means a unity of agreement, of feeling or action, especially among individuals with a common interest. It's a mutual support within a group. It's we all come together, every knee, solidarity, every knee will bow. Friends, we are going to, that's the goal. Every knee will bow. And we will see Jesus exalted, a name that's above every name. And we will, we will recognize his lordship of all. We don't make him Lord. Jesus, God's already done that. We just confess him as, as Lord. His name is above every name and is worthy of our endless praise to the glory of God. That's, that's where it ultimately goes. And that's where we keep our eyes. And I think that also helps us to hold lightly. Because we, it's not about us. It's not about me, myself. All those things in my brain just little by little chipping those away and more and more of Jesus consuming my thoughts and your thoughts as we journey up to that day when we bow the knee and confess him as Lord. And we get to bring more and more. Lord willing, just bring two service, whatever. I mean, maybe, Lord, when we, we outgrow this place and we have to build something bigger, oh, Lord, do it. Do it among us. More people bowing before him. Now, friends, I've been talking a lot about the church, and that's who 
Paul is writing. They're talking about us. Maybe you're, you're here this morning, maybe listening online, and you're thinking, well, man, that's great, but I'm not, even, I'm not even sure I have that relationship yet. This passage speaks of what Jesus has done for us. He was, he was God. He was in heaven, and, and yet there was this incredible plan that has been put in place since even before time. God made us to be in fellowship, and yet there in that garden we sinned, and all that was severed. And we, can't, we couldn't earn our way back. We couldn't, we couldn't fix it. But God, in his incredible love, more vast than an ocean, more than any pen could, could scribe on, on endless parchment, that's the love that God had toward us toward you and he sent his son and Jesus willingly emptied himself he he thought about us and the glory of his father and he said yes God I will and he he came and he became a man he lived that a pure sinless life and he went to a cross and he gave his life up he took our penalty for our rebellion upon himself and he gives us the right to become a part of the family of God by simply turning from sin and trusting in who he is and what he's done. Friend, if you haven't, if you haven't taken hold of that claim, I would encourage you. I'd encourage you, do it today. Do it today. Become a part of his family. Maybe it's, maybe you're like, hey, you've been, you're, you're talking to this church. I've been coming here, but hey, we've got that class. I'd, I'd encourage you. If you didn't sign up, it's no problem. You just come. We've got child care. We'll feed you a little bit, just get you through, and uh, tell you all about who we are as a church and what we believe, what we're passionate about, our mission, and how to become a part of, uh, of, this, of this family and get on board with, with our mission to see people connect to Christ's community and cause. You know, if we want to be united as a church so that God can do the seemingly impossible through us, it's going to take a new way of thinking. It's going to cost us something. I've given, I've given you two big asks. First, to think about others more important than yourselves, more significant than, you, than yourself. See them. See them. The person sitting in front of you, behind you, next to you is more important than you. It's more significant than you. Their needs matter. Their, their preferences, who they are, all of that matters. See them through his eyes and listen to them. How are you doing, really? And then secondly, hold lightly rather than cling tightly as you serve one another, realizing that it will likely cost you something. I won't put her on the spot, but I was just thinking, um, one of our new members filled out or went, went through uh, step three, went through the list. We have all of our serve teams and um, 
filled out here's here's like four that I'd be interested in. I reached out and like, hey, now let's talk about this and see kind of what really, really connects with you. You're, what were you passionate about? And came back and she said, um, oh, look, greedy. I like greedy. We have an incredible group of men back there that greet. You, you know what I'm talking about? You, you cannot get into this church without being, somebody is saying hello, a handshake, a hug, or something, right? And these, these men, they're all men, right? And they're good-looking men. They're great men. Awesome. But here was this lady said, I feel like, and I'm like, all right, we're about to break the bubble here. But I love that. I love it. And so this morning, she was out there and just loving on folks as, as they came. And this is what she said to me. I, I love just being able to, to serve. I love getting to know. Getting to, it's good for me to getting to know people. And then at the same time, I'm getting to serve, serve people as well. And then we had it. Evie was out there too. It had one of those. I mean, we had like multi generations, men and women. I love that. I love that. That's what we consider. We we hold lightly, and we we do not cling tightly to anything, and we entrust ourselves, our ministries, the way we serve to the Lord, and watch Him do some incredible things. We we're ready to make sacrifices for the good of others, knowing that. In the end, Jesus is going to get all the praise and the glory. His name is already elevated. It's a name that's above every name. It's the name King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's the Redeemer, the High Priest. The, he is, he's our Shepherd, our Savior. The day is going to come when we bow down and we join with one another and with myriads of others who have gone on before us and we're going to bow the knee and we're going to confess Jesus you are Lord what a day that's going to be so as we make our way there let's be united let's let's humble ourselves let's Let's give ourselves to one another. Let's think about others more importantly than, than ourselves. And let's, let's be about inequality. Let's don't even think it something to be grasped. Let's put on the mind of Jesus. We think differently about our relationships here in the church and look out. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the incredible, beautiful example of Jesus that we have before us, who humbled himself, who didn't count equality with you, something to be grasped. He, he let go. He held so lightly, and yet he came and he humbled himself and gave his life. He served us so that we might know life. And God, as a, as a church, as every person in here is special and who are treasured possessions, your, your word says. They carry significance and worth. God, help us to, help us to see one another through, through your eyes. To see one another as more significant than ourselves and, and be willing to let go of the things that, that we think matter so that others might be elevated 
we could serve one another and we could be used by you to to touch and impact lives here in these walls and and out into our community and lord i pray to the end of the earth god i pray even today we would uh, just maybe on our way out we would have some just even just some simple conversations that begin with man how how are you doing really and God, help us to listen better to one another, to care, and to, to love, and to respond, and to show empathy, compassion, and love in the way that Christ did for us. Help us to rethink relationships in our church. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.